All right, everybody, welcome to New Life Church. How many of you guys are excited to be at church today to worship Jesus? Come on, let me hear from you. Yeah, come on, man, I love it. Hey, look, my name is Jeff Baker. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. For you that might be new with us, I, I have the unique privilege of serving as the lead pastor here. Um, I, I like to just say I'm one of the pastors on staff because it takes all of us to make it happen. Periodically, I kind of let you know, you know, really what it is that I do. Uh, today is a special day. We're kicking off a brand new teaching series called Kingdom Builders. Kingdom Builders for New Life Church is like, it's ingrained in part of our culture. It's who we are. Other churches, they might call it missions. We call it kingdom builders. And we challenge every single person in our congregation to be a kingdom builder in multiple different ways. One of those ways is by making an annual commitment financially to being a kingdom builder. And we call kingdom builders our generous giving. Tithe at New Life Church is obedient giving. People, some people think like, well, that's really generous of me to give God 10%. No, that's obedience because God's the one who calls you to that. Generous giving is what we give above and beyond what God asks us to give in the 10%, okay? And so generous giving is kingdom builder giving, and that's kind of where we are. And today we're focusing in on that. Kingdom builders for us, though, is it's crucial to like the, the maturity of the believer. We, we want you guys not just to be new in your faith. We don't want you just to be like, if you can say it this way, like a baby, like drinking milk five years from now in your faith, we want you to be growing in your faith. And part of that is what we do through Kingdom Builders. Um, so Kingdom Builders is really broken into three parts. Global outreach is the first part of it. This is where we support missionaries um, that are here in the United States and missionaries around the world. But it's also where we send you on global outreach trips. Others might call them missions trips. We have a goal, a desire, it's in, it's in my heart, it burns inside of me that every single person who calls himself a new lifer would go on a foreign global outreach trip sometime in their life. The reason for that is because I believe that when you go like that, God does something supernatural in your heart and he changes you. We believe that so much that we've, we've, been, we've been giving thousands and thousands of Kingdom Builder dollars to help first-time participants go on global outreach trips. Now, the bummer with coronavirus is we had to cancel all of the global outreach trips for 2020. But we are actively putting them back on the schedule for 2021. If you've never been, we want to help you go for the very first time. So don't worry about the finances, okay? God will help you, and we will help you, and uh, we want to get you out there because we want you to experience what God's doing globally around the world. That's one way that Kingdom Builders is a part of what God's doing in his kingdom. The second way is through local church expansion. Basically, we believe this, that we're only as healthy around the world as we are here in America. And we believe that our first mission field is our backyard. So in Kearney, it's Kearney. And then outlining communities. North Platte and Ogallala, same. All right, so we just believe that the local church needs to be healthy. And we're not just talking about new life. We're talking about all local churches need to be the beacon of hope and the beacon of light, um, communicating the answer of Jesus Christ to this lost and dying world. And then from that health, we can reach out to the ends of the earth much better together than we ever could alone. Okay? So that's part of Kingdom Builders. So how many so far are with me? You agree that the kingdom of God and the mission field starts right outside the doors of our church. You guys with me so far? Okay, all right, because the last one really excites me. It's called Future Christian Leaders. We, really, we believe that we need to be intentional about replacing Jeff Baker. Like, many times we don't think about who's replacing me. Who's replacing the missionary in West Africa? 
right? Who's replacing the Chi Alpha missionary at a campus? Who's doing that? And we're just believing that, God, you're going you're gonna to send people. And we do believe that. But we also want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of sending future missionaries into mission fields that we currently don't even have people, into, into countries that are currently closed to Christianity. I want to be a part of raising them up. So we, we help send kids to camp where they're introduced to a life-changing, transformational relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. We help send students who feel vocationally called to ministry to Bible school so they can get the best education possible to be the best pastor, the best missionary possible. So these are our three parts. Global outreach, local church expansion, and future Christian leaders. And when you give to Kingdom Builders, you're helping to make that happen. Our guest today to help kick off Kingdom Builders, he started coming to the Kearney campus when he was 10 years old. Gave his life to Jesus right here at the Kearney campus. Grew up in Kearney. Graduated from Kearney High School. Right, Went on and graduated from UNK and went on to be in full-time ministry. He's a Chi Alpha missionary. He's a missionary in Arkansas, and he is raising up the future generation to be disciple makers, to be sent out to be pastors, to be sent out to be missionaries. And God's done amazing things through his life, but he is from New Life Church. He's right from this house right here. One church, multiple locations. And I, wanna, I want you guys just a minute to put your hands together and welcome one of your very own because God's doing great stuff. If you've ever thought about the picture of what a, what a, a church on mission is, this is a picture of a church on mission where a kid that's 10 years old and gives his life to Jesus is standing in front of you, still raising up the next generation and sending them out. That's exciting. Right? If you want to know what the picture of what a kingdom building church is, then take a 10-year-old you know, have him find Jesus and then later on in his life have him come back and communicate to you, hey, here's what I've done with the, with the Jesus that you guys introduced me to. That's kingdom building, right? And through this one guy and his ministry, we are now a part of what God's doing around the world because at 10 years old he found Jesus and then from this house he went on and he continues to lead amazing things. So guys, look, would you put your hands together and would you welcome one of your very own? Name is Matt. Carpenter, come on. <laughs> oh, man, I guarantee you, you're probably back there going, dude, don't build it up that big. But, man, it's, it's special for us to have one of our very own back here, and the journey that God's had you on, it's been amazing. And uh, I don't want to cut into any of your time, so I'm going to give it over to you best, and just let you communicate what God's put on your heart for this house, all right? Thank you, Welcome thank home, you. buddy. Thank Welcome you, home. Thank you. Yeah, praise God. You know, it really is a homecoming for me. And uh, my life was changed through this community of believers. And to say it was changed through Jesus is completely true. But what God says is that we are collectively the body of Christ. And it's an inclusion into a body that's so transformational to us. And I found family sitting right on that seat right there, except for it was an orange pew back then. <laughs> Some of you guys remember the orange pews, right? Uh, and I, I was discipled to know Jesus. And it wasn't about, for me, it was not about attending a service. It was about being included into a Christ-centered community where I got to see old heroes of the faith that were like that had went way ahead of me. And then I, I, I got to see it. just older brothers and sisters in the faith were just a little bit ahead of me. That were challenging me and also living out or incarnating 
the gospel of Jesus Christ into my life, and it, it transformed me. I, I grew up in a non-Christian home uh, with an alcoholic dad, uh, and so my journey of faith started on the floor of my dad's apartment when my parents were getting ready to, to get a divorce. And I cried out to Jesus, and Jesus became real to me. And it was real internally at that moment. I mean, like, like I felt things that were eternal things inside of me. But like it didn't stop with just an internal transformation. It resulted in an external transformation where I started to see God move around me and move through me like supernaturally. And I started to believe at the young age of 10 that God is real. And I believed that the same God that was in the Bible was the same God that I was experiencing. And that I could be a part of his work. And so I remember Sunday after Sunday, whether it was when I was a young boy or, or like the youth used to sit over in this section a little bit later, like when I was a little bit older. Like I remember like I think almost every service, it, it would be at the end of it, it would be, there would be an altar call of some kind. And I'd raise my hand and say, just God, yes, like whatever it is, like whatever you want from my life, I just want to say yes to you. And that choice to say yes to God is a choice to be with God. And to be with him, not just in his presence, but also to be with him in his work. And, and so it was kind of a natural, I think, progression for me to grow up in this house where missions was put in front of me, not just as like a far off thing, but like living missionally. It was, it was like not a far jump for me to say, I want to give my life to this. And I want it to be like my full time gig. And so I've committed myself to the mission field that is the university campus. And I know a lot of times when we think about missions, we think about Africa or Asia, we think, think about mud huts and, and, and wild animals. Uh, but the mission field that God called me to, I believe, is the most strategic mission field on the planet. And it's the mission field of the university campus. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of students that stream through the university campuses, whether it's UNK or UNL or the one that I'm at, which is called University of Central Arkansas. And the need for the gospel to intersect their lives at that moment is incredibly pivotal. And so that's the mission field that God's called me to. And so I'm trying to be faithful as a missionary onto that mission field. And in it, God has allowed me to to experience his presence and to be a part of his work. Now, I want to take just a moment to introduce you to my family. This is a, a picture of them. And so it started with just the two of us. This is my wife, Kiki. And, uh, and we've been married for 21 years now. Uh, and together, we did the rest of that there. Uh, <laughs> and so we, we believe in this thing and this command that was spoken over all of humanity to be fruitful and multiply, right? And so we're just trying to be faithful to do our part in that. Uh, I do have a personal conviction about this, that until you've had at least four children, you haven't multiplied. Uh, think about it, you know, like if you have two children, you've only just replaced the two of you. I don't, I don't hear a ton of amens. This is my theology, okay? Uh, you don't have to share in it with me if you don't want to, but we have five boys, and so, we, you know, we feel like we've done our part, you know, and then a little bit, you know? Uh, and so it's a, it's a dream come true for me to be a dad, and I see this little troop right here is my first opportunity to make disciples. And discipleship has to happen in our own homes if it's ever going to happen outside of our homes. And we can't bring our family to, to the church and think they're going to be discipled if we're not going to disciple in our own homes. And so I'm committed to this discipleship. This is my primary mission field. 
but beyond that, I not only believe in being fruitful and multiplying biologically, but I believe that this is what we're all supposed to be doing spiritually as well. And so that command that was spoken in Genesis, that is, be fruitful and multiply, it's a command that was reiterated by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when he said, now go and make disciples. It's really the same declaration. It's just new context and it's new application. And so that making of disciples or being fruitful and multiplying is what I'm committed to through the ministry of Chi Alpha at the University of Central Arkansas. So we went there, really, and you guys sent us. And you sent us as missionaries and as one missionary family. But out of that, God has reproduced His kingdom through discipleship to where there are now ministries that stretch across this planet that came out of a secular university. Do you know that now at University of Central Arkansas, over the years that I've been there, we've now seen over 150 full-time missionaries that have been raised up and sent out. Like, that, that doesn't count. That doesn't even count the number of people who, have, who are living missionally and they get paid as a teacher or as a doctor or as a, a therapist or whatever. Like, this is just the full-time missionaries that have been sent out to where campuses across the United States, uh, in Arkansas, Arkansas Tech University, University of Arkansas Little Rock, University of Arkansas Pine Bluff, but even into Kansas, because Kansas needs a little help too, right? All right, like Kansas needs a little help. So, uh, so Kansas State University, University of Kansas, into Tennessee, University of Tennessee, Tennessee Chattanooga, Tennessee Tech University, University of Alabama, even as far away as Maine, the University of Maine, there's missionaries that have been planted at University of Maine from University of Central Arkansas because we committed ourselves to this disciple-making process. And this, you guys, is what Jesus has called every one of us to. He didn't just call me to make disciples. He called you to make disciples. In fact, that is his only call to us. Go and make disciples. And I want you to hear this. Like, I'm nobody. And I'm kind of from nowhere. You know, I mean, Corny's kind of just a dot on the map in the middle of a state that, like, a lot of people think it's insignificant. But do you know that God loves to use insignificant people from insignificant places to further his kingdom? Why? Because God knows that he will get all the glory for it. And when Jesus got to the end of his life, he prayed a prayer. But he first said to his father, he said, Father, I've completed my work. The completed work of Christ, what did he point to? Did he say, now I've got these hundreds of thousands of people now, God, that that now know you. No, 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 he didn't point to a crowd. Nor did he point to a building and say, look, the new temple. Oh, it's so beautiful. Like, Father, I've completed my work. You know what Jesus points to as his completed work? Why he came to this earth? He says, I finished my work. And he points to 11 dudes. My work has been completed in these guys. And I don't know about you, but that gives me some hope because you guys read about these 11 guys, right? Like, I mean, they, they, they mess up a lot, you know, kind of like me and kind of like you. And they come from all different scenarios. Yeah, one of them's a doctor, but another one's a tax collector, you know, and then some fishermen. And Jesus says, 
all of my work has been completed in them. And then he prays this prayer to the Father. And I, I, I feel like I can hear like the, the anxiety in Jesus' voice when he says, and, and Father, please help them. You know, because like, they're really going to need it. Like, I, without me, God, I, they can only do it with your Holy Spirit. And so please help them. And so that work of discipleship that took the life of Christ and multipl- multiplied it to where there was a, then 11 is the same work that God wants to do in each one of our lives and through each one of our lives. Now, we can sometimes interact with it differently and think, oh, no, no, it's just, it's, there's going to be like some great pastor or some great missionary or some great super evangelist that's going to come along someday. And they, they will really like lead an end time revival. And, like I, and we just get to be a part of it. In fact, I'll just be, I just want to be an audience. But God hasn't called us to be an audience. God has called us to be participators in, our work, in his work. And so I want to just kind of model something in front of you of two different ways of thinking about how it is that God would possibly want to accomplish this thing when he says, I am not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. And that, the Greek word that's used there for all, what it means is all. That's what it means, Okay. And so God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. And so there's two different methodologies you could think about it. Let's get the super evangelist, and let's just say it was possible for somebody to go around and to every night gather, gather together a crowd, whether it be in a church or in a stadium or whatever, and get a thousand people together, and that every single one of them would say, I want Jesus as my Lord, and they would commit, commit themselves to Jesus as their Savior. And so a thousand people a night every night for a whole year. And at the end of that year, there would then be 365,000 that came from one. And we would all say, wow, right? Like 365,000, wouldn't that be amazing? 365,000, let's call them converts. But what if there was just an, like an average Joe, like me or like you, or an average Jane, who just said, I'm not really anything special, but God is really special. And the God that I've come to know operates through me powerfully in His Holy Spirit. And it's not because of my perfection or my worth, but it's also, it's absolutely because of His perfection and His worth. And what if they just decided, I'm going to go and I'm going to do what Jesus did. I'm going to just follow my Lord and I'm going to do what Jesus did. And so they just decide with my family, with my spouse, with my kids, with my coworkers, with my classmates... I'm just going to try and influence them for the gospel. I'm going to try and pass on the incarnation of Jesus to them. And after a year of doing that, they would see 11. But instead of converts, do you realize these people are disciples? Not just converts, they're disciples. And what if they, those 11 decided, we're just going to go out and we're just going to do that exact same thing. And, and we're going to do just what was done to us. We're going to pass that on to the next generation. After two generations... 730,000, because two years now, 730,000 versus 121. But let's fast forward this thing. Let's go to three, four, five, six. And do you see that after year six, 2.19 million. And do you see that in year six, the faithful disciple maker is about to catch up. And look what happens in generation seven, the year of completion. 19 million. 19 million 
487,000 versus two and a half million. But what if we go generation eight? You see it? 214 million. Almost 10 times the impact. If this was still possible, let's just say this is still possible. Every night, going around city to city, place to place, maybe across Nebraska, maybe across the states, maybe across the world, every night, more and more people would be like, wow, what an amazing, amazing thing is happening here. But which is more amazing? You see it? 214 million. Generation 9. 2.35 billion disciples. And by generation 10 becomes 25.9 billion. Do you know what the population of our planet is? Somewhere between 7 and 8 billion. That means if we would just do what Jesus told us to do, it would only be 10 discipleship generations away from world domination. And that's, you guys, if we started today with just one Isn't that hopeful? Like, you guys aren't shouting about it, but I bet in Ogallala, they're excited about this, okay? Like, they're like, they're like, we're in, you know, like just one of us. Like, even if, do you hear it though? If it was just one that would say, I'm going to do what Jesus did. And, and we could maybe say, like, discipleship can't happen in a year. It took Jesus three years. But still, three years, like that becomes 30 years. That means within each one of our lifetimes, If we would just commit ourselves to this disciple-making work and we would start today, in 30 years, we could see the entire world be disciples of Christ. That's the plan. And it's not plan B. That's the only plan. It's plan A. And this is what I've committed my life to. Just an ordinary guy from, from Kearney, Nebraska, who just is trying to say yes to my Lord. And you know, I went to University of Nebraska at Kearney here. I remember my freshman year, I was in speech class. Uh, and I'm not the guy that stands in front of people and talks. Like, I was terrified. In fact, I still am terrified. It's just, I've got the Spirit of God inside of me, so it doesn't look like terror when I'm standing in front of you. You know? It looks like authority. Why? Because Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, and I give it to you. And it's this process of discipleship that we can be a part of. Do you know, even in sending people and raising them up at the University of Central Arkansas, like we'll have four to 600 students gather together on a weekly basis to worship our Lord together on a secular university. But it's not a gathering ministry, it's a sifting and sending ministry because that was the work of Jesus. Jesus didn't go around gathering. In fact, when he had 5,000, he was like, I've got to figure out how to get rid of some of these people because they don't really get it. And so he sifted them. Why? So he could send them. And so Jesus has been doing a sifting and sending ministry, and it's, it's impacting not just the University of Central Arkansas, but it's impacting the globe. And so if this is what we're called to do, and we'll go to the scripture now, it says in Matthew chapter 28, this is the command that's spoken over every one of us. And we have to see it as this is Jesus' word to me. And it says it like this. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, which incidentally, all authority on heaven and earth means that there's nothing going on on this planet right now that God does not have control over. 
And if we really believe that, we have to stop acting like we think that what's going on is really stressing God out. You know, like he's up in heaven, like pulling his hair out and going like, I never thought of coronavirus. You know, like that's not happening. All authority on this earth and above this earth belongs to our God. And he is in control of everything. And so it says, I'm in charge. Now this is what you get to do with me in charge. Is you get to go out and it says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit and teaching them to, them to obey everything that i've commanded you and surely i'm with you always to the very end of the age now this declaration we probably all have heard it probably a lot of us have it memorized but there's a part in here that i think is often misunderstood when it says baptizing them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit because we a lot of times interact with that as though that's just the dunking them under the water but the word that's used here is not about dunking underwater. There's two different words in the Greek language that translate baptize. The first one is bapto and the second one is baptizo. And so I was trying to study this out and trying to figure out, like, what's the difference between those two things? Because the word that's used here is baptizo. And so I looked it up and I found this Greek pickle recipe, okay? And it used both of these words. And so today I want to talk to you about the pickle that will change the world. And you ready for it? The pickle that will change the world. And so what it says is you take a cucumber and it says you bapto it in hot water. In other words, you dip it in hot water. And if you dip a cucumber in hot water, what happens to it? it it's not a trick question. It just becomes hot, right? Okay. Hot, remember, remember hot water, you put it in hot, right? And you take it out and then it's what? Cold. You're, tra yeah, you're tracking now. So hot Cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. Now, too often, we interact with our relationship with Christ as though we are bapto. We are hot, cold, hot, cold. Hot on a Sunday, cold on a Monday. Hot after a conference, cold a couple months later. Went to youth camp, and I got real hot. But then when it came to live it out in my school, kind of cold. But there's another word that says, then after... You take the pickle out of the, or the cucumber out of the hot water, then you baptize it, or you immerse it continually until it's changed in vinegar. And we all know that if you see a pickle, what a pickle is doing in its right state is it's just hanging out in vinegar, right? And as it hangs out in the vinegar, it becomes changed. Like, it really has changed. It's no longer a cucumber. In fact, if I were to hold a pickle in front of each one of you today and say, what is this? Not one of you would say, it's a cucumber. Now, you might say, I can see that you once were a cucumber, you pickle. But you are that no longer, right? And this is what it should be for our lives. It should not be possible if we are going to be in this disciple-making process that we are not first disciples, okay? And so in order to be a disciple, we first have to be immersed continually until we're transformed into the very nature of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when we are immersed, we are transformed. And somebody might be able to say, I can see that you once were this or that, but you are that no longer. And if there is not a transformation that happens, we should ask the question, am I truly a disciple of Jesus? Or am I just getting dipped in church on a weekly basis? Or am I actually a disciple? Am I really changed? 
But it's not just being changed kind of in like the experience of our life or even the demonstration of our life. We are also changed to become eternal. And if you think about a pickle, everybody knows that a, a cucumber can only last for so long, right? But a pickle, once it becomes a pickle, it lasts forever, right? Like I know that they still, you know, they stamp a thing on the lid that says good until, you know, 2035, you know, like, but everybody knows you don't look at the date when you get out of pickle. Why? Pickles are eternal. They, they went from something that is temporary to something that lasts forever, right? And so you never, you never think it's a risk to eat a pickle, right? Because it's been changed. Here's the point. If we continue to act like the temporary things of this world are significant over the eternal things of God, we have not been changed. We have to not think about the temporary things of this world. We have to think about the eternal things of God. And we have to live life with eternal perspective. Are you with me? If we're really disciples of Jesus, we don't think about temporary things. We think about eternal things. Everything here is just a moment, like it's smoke and it passes quickly. But the eternal things, those are the real things. And when we really are disciples or we really are pickles, then that's when we can start making pickles. And what do we do? As we're in the vinegar, in the community of Jesus, immersed into the word of God, we just start dragging people in with us, you know? Like we just hold them under till they really repent, you know? Like... <laughs> We just drowned them in it, you know, like, and it's not, yeah, definitely we need to invite them into church because how else are you going to get them stuck in, you know, like you just keep on, and maybe somebody here got drugged to church, and next thing you know, you're like, I'm changing. Why? Because you've been immersed. Do you know, it's pathetic to see a pickle in a jar alone. Have you ever seen a, like, open up your, you know, it's all, it's all just lonely in there, it's all pressed up against the glass, just looking out, you know, like, just looking, <laughs> looking all pathetic, you know, like. And you're like, somebody do something with this last pickle, right? Because it's just wasting space in the refrigerator. Like, somebody eat this last pickle so we can dr drink the juice or pour it out, maybe, you know, right? But it's pathetic to see a pickle alone in a jar. You know, it's just as pathetic to see a Christian that's not making disciples. And not only do we abandon our God-given purpose, but we end up getting, getting eaten and devoured because we're living life alone. And that's what happens if we don't make disciples. We end up living our lives alone, and we feel alone in our spirituality. We feel alone in our Christianity. So God wants us to make disciples, to make pickles. And then also, there's this quality about pickles where they smell. In fact, they stink, right? How many of you guys love pickles? Okay. How many of you hate pickles? Okay, and usually people have strong feelings one way, or the other, one way or the other, right? Very few people are kind of on the fence about a pickle. They're either like, oh, I love pickles, or like, no, I don't like them. But they smell, right? And they have an odor to them. Paul says it like this, we go everywhere and we spread the aroma of Christ. And there is a fragrance to it. There's, a, there's like this, this sense that like, it permeates people. And some people, it says, it will be like the smell of life. And others, it will be like the stench of death. But either way, we have to spread the same aroma. And we have to be the same person when we sit in these seats. 
and tell the stories and the, exchange the, the conversations about our lives as we, as we do when we're sitting in our office chair or we're on a construction site. We have to live the same life and knowing that there's some people that God is saving. And to them, your conversation and your interaction with them will be the fragrance of life. And to others, they'll be like, I don't want anything to do with that. But that doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It means you're doing everything right. And if we're not willing to stink, then I don't think we're really willing to make disciples. Are you hearing me on this? So my challenge before you now, and what I'm going to ask is in just a minute, if, if you want to commit yourself to this challenge, to stand to your feet. But the challenge I want to put before you is if you're realizing, man, I, I know I'm coming to church, but I, don't, I know that there's some things in my life that I have not allowed to be immersed into the nature of God. Or like, I don't live this stuff out when I leave from here. And if you want to say before God, God, I first want to be a pickle. Like, I really want to be transformed by you. Like, I'm not giving up identity. I'm walking into new identity. Or if you're sitting in a spot where you're like, I know I've been changed, but I know I'm not changing other people. And I want to be, even, listen, even if I'm the only one, I want to be committed to your kingdom work that spreads not only across my workplace or my school, but across this community, across this state, and around the globe to all nations. And I want to be a part of that. So if either one of those things are true, and you want to commit yourself to answering the challenge from Jesus Christ to go and make disciples, would you stand to your feet? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I would imagine, I would hope in North Platte and Ogallala that there's as many people standing as there are here. And, and like what we said before, even if there was just one, we could see God's kingdom come and His will be done on this earth as it is in heaven in our lifetime. Just think what could happen if we all go and live this out from here today. And so if you join me in prayer, we'll pray that God will both empower us with his spirit and help us to live a life of obedience. And so, Father God, we commit ourselves before you to be a part of your kingdom work. God, that we don't want to just be dipped and then taken out and dipped and taken out. God, we want to be immersed until we are transformed. And then we want to drag our children, our families into this, God. We want to drag our co-workers and we want to drag our, our schoolmates God, we want to drag an entire city, an entire state, an entire nation into the transformative power of the Father and of the Son and of His Holy Spirit. And God, in that, we believe that You will bring Your kingdom to pass on this earth. I believe across this place and over every campus, there are people who desperately want to be a part of Your work. They want their lives to count for something more than just the temporary. So God, I pray that you would move every one of our hearts to a place of responding to you, not just with standing up, but with standing out. That we will live these things out as we leave this place. And Lord, in that, God, your promise is this. I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And so, God, I thank you that your promise is that we will never be alone. In Jesus' name, amen.